0: Welcome to Harper Academic Calling. Our podcast is designed to give educators, students, as well as every reader, a behind the scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up and coming debut writers about their books. academic calling Stephen Graham Jones. Stephen is the author of over 20 novels and several short story collections, and is a professor of English at the University of Colorado Boulder. His novel Mongrels, which was released in paperback earlier in 2017, tells the story of a young boy living with his aunt and uncle, always on the run from a society that shuns them. Werewolf blood runs in his family. His aunt and uncle are living proof of that. But as the boy edges towards his coming of age the question lingers. Is he truly one of them? Wildly imaginative and darkly humorous, Mongrels will captivate your students as it opens up discussion about issues of identity and acceptance. So joining us on the phone right now, we have Stephen Graham Jones, author of Mongrels. And Stephen, it's great to have you with us today.
1: Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: No problem. Um, So to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about how this novel came to be? Um, This was your third attempt at a werewolf novel, correct?
1: It was, yeah. I'd written back in, man, it might have been 99 or so, a werewolf novel that I thought was going to be the werewolf novel I write, and it didn't come together well enough. So I took another run at it in 2013, different build and everything, and that didn't come together well enough. I was just spending too much time looking at werewolves. Mm-hmm. So then I finally lucked into the um, the short story that became chapter one of Mongrels, because I had a story due for an anthology.
0: All right, great. So, what um what drove you to write about werewolves in the first place?
1: They've just always been my favorite. I spent a lot of time, probably too much time, thinking about werewolves. So, <laughs> when I had that story on deadline, I only had like four hours to write it or something. And I thought, well, I better do what I know, and what I know is werewolves. So. Well, there you go. Nothing
0: like a time crunch. Yeah. Man. Um. So, in, so when you were writing it, um, both the short story and the full novel itself, um, were there any any other specific influences you, you had, um, in terms of other supernatural or paranormal fiction
1: uh, definitely i mean i i've read everything werewolf and i read a lot of vampire stuff i just re, I read all over the horror spectrum and all over the all over, all over the bookshelf really but um probably the biggest influence on mongrels as far as novels would be um robert mccammon's the wolf's hour i bet from 1989 it's about a spy who's a werewolf fighting nazis the biggest movie influence would be um the wolfman from 41 that's kind of where i got the mythology or the biology of my werewolves
0: mm. so how um how much did you rely on um previous culture in terms of werewolves and how much did you feel free to really create your own details in terms of the transformation their existence yeah. um, their I place in society i
1: think when i think when you're tackling a creature or a monster that um everybody is familiar with to some degree you're kind of obligated to at least bounce off of the things they already know, like the moon or or silver or whatever whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I knew I had to engage those. The the trick was, were they actually gonna play into the culture or biology of my werewolves? And I decided the moon wasn't, but silver was. I I like the idea of, um, I think monsters, Go wider when they have an Achilles heel, you know, like when vampires have daylight, or werewolves have silver, Um, zombies have headshots. I think that allows humans to actually fight them and occasionally win if they use their, you know, their wits, their intelligence. Mm
0: -hmm. And and why not the moon?
1: Because I never could make that make sense. I mean, if a full moon triggers a werewolf transformation, what does a half moon do? What does a quarter moon do? And I could really come up with no qualitative difference between sunlight and moonlight, other than than that moonlight being reflected sunlight is paler. Mm -hmm. I couldn't make it make sense, so I had to drop it.
0: All right, well, there we go. Um, One of the things I really loved about this novel was how um, there are so many specific details, both in terms of just their day-to-day life like there's Darren with the strawberry wine coolers over and over yeah. again um, and then in terms of the werewolf transformations um, there's a little bit about pantyhose I think is yeah. such specific attention to detail there um, how do you use those kinds of details to tell a really strong story?
1: I think details like that what they do is they convince they they'll, they make the reader have to create the world less on their own I guess like mm-hmm. the details they flesh out the world I'm making, I guess, I make it more inhabitable, inhabitable by, inhabitable by the reader. I hope. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm not, I'm never interested in. As far as werewolves go, the werewolves I see fighting in the moonlight on the top of a castle, you know, that those are never interesting werewolves to me. The interesting worlds to me are the ones who, you know, have to pass the credit check they the used car lot. I'm, I'm interested in their day-to-day lives, mm-hmm. how they, how they make it, how they hold together as a, as a family, as a unit, as a people.
0: Hmm. Do you feel like those kinds of details anchor you in being a the storyteller?
1: They do They they allow me to kind of emotionally invest in it I think because you know really all these details about moving from town to town going from school to school having crazy family members and everything that's, that's how I grew up so Mongrels is really to me very autobiographical just I wasn't a, actually a werewolf you know
0: Hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> that we know of, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm glad you brought it that way, because as much as we've talked about um, the werewolf, the supernatural aspect of the novel, um, at its heart, it is really a novel about being an outsider, um, and there are these really real-world themes in it, um, Which and that was another thing I thought was brilliant about
1: the novel. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of... The people who are in Mongrels, you know, Darren and Libby and the sheep, I guess, um they are all pretty much family members, you know, so I, I, I would, I felt compelled to render them as honestly as I can, you know, and, and to invest myself completely in those, in the story they're in, I guess.
0: hmm So there's, um, that, that level of autobiography, um, when you were writing it, did it feel like it was a social commentary in any way in terms of them and their place in society?
1: I definitely see that. A lot of people have asked me about that. I didn't I don't do it on purpose but I think mm-hmm. each of us are political animals, of course. We inhabit a certain political space and we of course can't avoid that and those that that political maybe not quite agenda, but that political um space always comes through in the art we do and so I may feel like this way about that and I don't mean to write about it but it comes through anyways.
0: Because mm-hmm. we, um, you know, within the past year or so, um, there's, there's been this focus in terms of the political arena on, um, you know, the poorer, more outside yeah. of rural America, and yeah. the way these characters went, um, in ways, kind of reminded me of. Did you read "Hillbilly Elegy"?
1: No, I was just talking about that last night at dinner with a friend. No, I have it right, yet.
0: It's just the, um, you know, their day to day life, the existence. There were parts of it that um, rang true to that, and that, you know, has been widely acclaimed as a book that really speaks to the current political climate
1: yeah like you know a lot of the time when I read about when when I read novels that portray people who live out in the country I always feel like the writer is doing it with a sociological or anthropological lens, like treating these um characters as somehow exotic and to me they're not exotic i mean, I grew up out in those pastures, so I do feel compelled to um do them right, you know I don't wanna I don't want to make them exotic. I want to, I want to let them be normal. Just let them be themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. So, can you talk a little bit more about um, your background and how that influenced um, these characters and mongrels?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I grew up in really rural, rural West Texas, out in the cotton field and you know oil fields, and just in trailers and you know always, always working cotton and working off a horse and working off tractors and stuff, um, and. Uh, when we would come to town every once in a while, we were always we always knew better than to talk to anybody because they could always tell we were not from the city, you know. Mm-hmm. And and then when we started, like when I guess I was about ten or ten or twelve, we started moving all around Texas and everywhere. And so I was going to a different school every felt like every few months. So maybe I'd be at one place for a year, for a year and a half or so. And so I was just always the new kid in school able I mean I guess I didn't I didn't really mean to do it but I think a lot of that found its way into the narrator of of Marvel he's always the new kid you know
0: Mm-hmm. who who doesn't have a name throughout the whole book which I thought was interesting yeah. was that was that a conscious choice or
1: you know it was initially just a mistake I was <laughs> hey, I have like 70 pages and I'm like oops he doesn't have a name and then it became like a game how am I going to stage somebody saying a name for him but I never thought of a name so I just never gave him one
0: alright Fair enough. Um, And so you're also a professor in Colorado, correct?
1: I am, yes.
0: So, in terms of um, this book as genre fiction, do you find that, um, do you use genre fiction in your classroom to reach students?
1: Oh, definitely I do. You know, it's funny. Um, I've been teaching for pushing 20 years, I guess, teaching fiction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, probably for the first 15, 17 years of it, my syllabi would always have to say, um, they, on day one, I would tell the students, you're gonna write a genre story for this class. You may write other stuff, but one of your stories is gonna be a zombie story, or a fairy tale, or post-apocalypse, or you know some, something that they may not um, have thought they were gonna do. And used to, I would have students get up and walk out, like in protest of that. Oh, wow. Um, but nowadays, the last probably four years, I would say, I don't have to put that on my syllabus at all, um, actually, this whole semester, I think I've had forty stories turned in, and only one of them has not been genre. So the students right now—that's where they live and breathe. Either mm-hmm. that, or they know I'm the genre genre professor, so they write genre. For <laughs>
0: so you've seen more of, um, you've seen that reaching them more over the years. Then that's increased yes, for
1: you. Yeah, it really, it really has increased. I don't—I mean, I, I suspect the students are actually always into it, but the academy mm-hmm. wasn't. But now that um, some of us are. Professors now, we're allowing it into the academy.
0: Mm. That's interesting. That's actually um, another thing I was going to ask you about. Um, in terms of whether, do you think genre fiction is becoming more accepted in academia? But from what you're saying, it sounds like it
1: is. Well, I mean, yeah, more accepted. I wouldn't say accepted yet. Not fully. The other, the, still a lot of um, kind of, I guess you'd call it prejudice. Maybe you mm-hmm. know, people just um, make assumptions about genre fiction based on a single example of that genre fiction, and it's usually an insulting example, and therefore they dismiss the whole the whole fantasy shelf or something, and mm. think, I don't think that's really fair. I think there's wonderful stuff happening on the genre shelves, and there's wonderful stuff happening on the literary shelves as well. I think, I think what's good is story. It doesn't matter kind of how it's dressed up. Mm.
0: Why, why is that, do you think? What is it about genre fiction that seems to exclude it from literary fiction?
1: Uh, the difference between genre and literary fiction, yeah, that's a big question. um
0: mm-hmm. let me think at least in terms of academia, and consider what's considered you know high literature yeah.
1: yeah, um you know one it's really it's really ridiculous, but one thing that seems to get um a novel admission to academia is if it has a critical mass of um criticism surrounding it, you know, like. Mm-hmm. If it's been given the stamp of approval by the critics, then everybody will say, this rises right above genre, which is of course just a way of insulting the rest of genre. Mm-hmm. But um, as for what the difference is, I think people tend to like, in, in, lar- in broad stroke, they say that genre is plot-based, whereas literary is character-based, and character is makes for a better story. I don't think that's actually the case. I think that I do think that people who write genre are better plotters. They mm-hmm. they they come up with better premises and they pace a reader through that in a more effective manner. But um I don't think plot is bad. I think that it's probably a case that the literary writers are overvaluing what they do and kind of they have the high ground and they say this is this is the way it should be, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting you say that because, um if I had to say whether Mongrels was more plot based or character based I would say it was character based
1: yeah, I, I would say definitely there's not much of a plot at all I don't think. Mm.
0: that's great yeah. um so what's up next for you book wise um you've got plenty of novels besides mongrels, um but yeah. after this what do you what are you thinking next
1: well, I mean since Mongrels, I've had a novella come out with tor i've had a graphic novel come out with the indie publisher Hex here in Colorado and actually in a few days here in January um, my agent is submitting my next next novel I'm excited about that
0: oh great can you tell us anything about it or do we have to wait
1: Uh, paleo-anthropological thriller I'm calling it American Neanderthal
0: alright cool we will look forward to that thank you Um, so Stephen one last question for you and this is a question that we ask all of the guests on the podcast since this is primarily for educators on um, their students, who was your favorite teacher?
1: My favorite teacher, yeah, it was Miss Easton in sixth grade. She was teaching history and she was doing a slideshow, like a, not not a PowerPoint. It was like an old-fashioned, like oh, on the overhead, mm-hmm. with the, you know, the transparency with there. the projector. Like, yeah, yeah, and um. And she was talking about you know stuff that happened a thousand years ago, then eight hundred years ago, and I noticed that um, the dates were going like twelve hundred B C, seven fifty B C, and all and all that. And this is back when you used you know B C. And um, and so I raised my hand. I said I said I think you may have messed up there and on uh, on your numbering. And she said um, and she said she complimented me. She said it was really astute of me to notice that. That, um, actually that that she was going to explain that later, that the, you know, the years go backwards until you reach some zero point, and then it starts over. Mm-hmm. And um, I always remember that, that that um, I was I was kind of being like, I was trying to point out a mistake. I was trying to show off how smart I was. And she, could have, <laughs> she could have easily, easily knocked me down, you know, because mm-hmm. I was just a sixth grader. But instead of doing that, she complimented me. And I will always remember that in all my interactions with students, that you don't have to come down hard you can come down in a way which
0: builds somebody up you know that's great and i'm I'm glad she's had an influence on you in terms of your teaching Mm -hmm. all right well this has been great thank you so much for joining us steven
1: it was great talking thanks for having me no problem all
0: right later all right bye thank you for listening to this episode of harper academic calling subscribe on soundcloud apple podcasts or your favorite third-party app for more episodes And be sure to visit us at harperacademic.com for more information about this and other great books.